0: Father, please, would you help us now? Help us, please, to learn of more of your faithfulness. Lord, we want to hear your voice. We want to understand your words. Holy Spirit, please, would you breathe life into our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please do take a seat. Um, let me add my welcome. My name is John T. Um, it's great to welcome you to the Globe Church and to have you here. Um, I can't I know that wearing masks is important at the moment, but I can't wait till we can take the masks off and we can really hear each other sing again. Um, but it's great to be able to sing, and it's great to be able to declare God's praise. We're, now, I'm really excited this afternoon. Okay, I'm really excited. If this is your first time at Globe Church, you have chosen a fantastically good Sunday to come because we're starting a new series, and we're going to start to look at the life of Abraham. And the whole of this term, right up until Easter, we're going to be thinking about what we learn from this man, Abraham. But, you might be forgiven for thinking, particularly if you're not that used to being in church, what, the, what on earth is the point of looking at some bloke who lived, what, 4,000 years ago? In a completely different situation, in a completely different place, in a completely different time, with completely different customs, what on earth... <laughs> How has that got anything to do with us living in London? That's what I want to try and persuade you this afternoon. In fact, I don't don't just want to persuade you. I want to try and get you excited about why Abraham has so much to teach us. And the reason is because you are more connected to Abraham than you realize. Look, I love it when I make a connection with someone. You know when someone... When someone mentions your town, the place where you grew up, it's like, whoa. And this seems to me that the smaller your town is, the greater your excitement when someone mentions it. You know, if they're from Birmingham, oh, you're from Birmingham, that's interesting. But if you're from, you know, a tiny Ivy Bridge, oh, you're from an Ivy Bridge, there's only seven people who live there. But it's interesting, right? So if you have the conversation, so I'm from Southampton originally, medium, you know, it's fairly exciting. What's the next question you have? If you're really from Southampton, what you do is the next thing you say is, where? whereabouts in Southampton are you from? And then they tell you where they're from and there's a little sense of disappointment if if it isn't your bit, isn't there? But supposing they go, actually I'm from a, a, a place called Bitten Park. No way, so am I. Which, Which school did you go to? (laughs) We can't help ourselves, right? You drive deeper and deeper into the connection because the better the connection is what what road did you live in? Cobble that's my street. What house number? (laughs) You were living in my attic. (laughs) Then it gets then you then you start backtracking, right? At that point you're like, this is weird, stalker. (laughs) Yes, okay. Look, the point is we love it when we can make a connection with someone. And it isn't just location-wise, it's also true with people from history. We're fascinated by historical connections. So you can have a weird historical figure that no one's that interested in, but suddenly you realize that there's some relative of yours and you're fascinated by this person. In fact, it might even be the case that their story somehow begins to shape something of how we understand who we are. That seems to me to be the premise of that pro. You know, the, who do you think you are? That's the whole premise of that program. As people go back into history, they make connections with people from their past in order to sort of understand a little bit more about their own story. That, right, that is why I'm so excited about studying the story of Abraham. Because we are more connected to him than we realize. So what I want to do in, the, in this, in this, time this afternoon, is I want to establish three connections with Abraham. Three connections that we're going to see in the passage that we're going to read in just a moment, and we're going to build on in the coming weeks. And I, in some ways, this time this afternoon is more of a kind of whet your appetite, get you excited, get you thinking, I want to hear more. But let's read um, the passage before we go any further. And we're going to be in Genesis chapter 12. But I do just want to start um, with Genesis uh, chapter 11 and the last little bit of Genesis chapter 11. So I want to read um, the very last bit. So Genesis chapter 11, and then we're going to crack straight on into Genesis chapter 12, This is Genesis 11, verse 31. Terah took his son Abraham. Oh, now I need to explain. Uh, this might be painting obvious to you, but Abram is the same person as Abraham. Um, His name gets changed. We'll see why. We'll get to that. And I'm sorry, I I will go in and out of Abram, Abraham, but we'll probably be able to cope with that. Terah took his son Abram, his his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram. And together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Han- ha- Haran, they settled there. Terah lived 205 years and he died in Haran. The Lord had said to Abraham, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great name. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him. And Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they'd accumulated, and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan. And they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Moreh at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who'd appeared to him. From there he went on towards the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west and Ai, Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abraham set out and continued towards the Negev. Okay, I'm going to make these three connections, right? Here's the first connection between Abraham's story and ours. And I've called it the God connection. When you read the Bible... It's very tempting. A lot of people read the Bible and they sort of want to look for very immediate things that kind of speak to them. So they read the Bible and they go, oh look, I'm just like Abraham, or I'm just like this. And they look for someone in the story that they can identify with, and they look for someone, or a moral, or something like that. And people treat the Bible like an old book of fables that you sort of look for lessons in. Actually, the strongest connection between me and Abraham is nothing to do with me or Abraham, it's all to do with the God that we worship. You see, what is fundamentally true on every page of the Bible is that the God you read about in the Bible is the God who doesn't change, and therefore is the God who we still worship today. So the connection between me and Abraham is we worship the same God. The connection between you, if you are someone who worships the God of the Bible, is that you worship the same God as Abraham. I think that that is pretty exciting. Because God doesn't change. He is eternal. He is immutable. He is unchanging in his character. That is why he is referred to over and over again in the Bible from this point on as the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Isn't that a cool name? We worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the, that connection is emphasised throughout the story of God's people. So when God met Moses in a burning bush, Moses comes later in the book of Exodus. When God met Moses in a burning bush, what did He say to Moses? He didn't say, "Hey Moses, nice to Moses, nice to see you." He said, "I am the God of Abraham, Isaac." Jacob, it is how God introduced himself. Moses, I want you to know fundamentally that I am the God of Abraham. Abraham worshipped me. King David, who comes quite a long way after Moses, prayed to the God of Abraham. Elijah, who came a little bit after King David, he stood on Mount Carmel. Right? The prophet Elijah, if you don't know these stories, don't worry. But Elijah stood on this mountain of, and there was this um, conflict with the, the, uh, the, the prophets of Baal, this idol that the people were worshipping. And as Elijah stood on the mountain, this is what he prayed Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Let it be known today that you are God. You see, Elijah wanted the people to know. Elijah was so clear that he's not worshipping some recently arrived deity. He is worshipping the God of Abraham. And if you think it's just the Old Testament guys who are at it, well, when you get to the New Testament and you listen to Peter, when Peter stands up to preach before the Jewish Sanhedrin, he says this. As he preaches the good news of Jesus, this is where he starts. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has glorified his son, Jesus. (laughs) This is the great connection that links our story directly to the story of Abraham. And let me tell you this, if you don't get this connection, if you disconnect if you don't understand who the God is that we're worshipping, that he has this history to him, then what will happen is that we will constantly be reinventing God, reimagining God in our image, reconfiguring God in a manner that suits us and appeals to us. But we don't get to do that because he's not the God of 2022. He's the God of Abraham. You don't get to rewrite what he's like. You don't get to redefine him or shape him. You get to worship him like Abraham did. So this term, do you want to know him more? Do you want to know the God of Abraham? That's why we're going to study the book. And we're going to constantly be asking the question, who is this God of Abraham? That's the God connection. And let me just make a practical suggestion at this point. When you come to pray, have you ever, ever prayed, Heavenly Father, God of Abraham, please would you help me with my exams today? Because that is who we worship. And I want to encourage you. I want to, I want to encourage you to be praying like that. I'd love to hear that as a church family, to hear that praying for one another, God of Abraham, that we'd be excited about that. We're reading about our God. Anyway, that's the first connection. We're going to see that in a second. Here's the second connection. And that is the Christ connection. In other words, as we read the story of Abraham, it is impossible to miss the connection that exists between Abraham's story and the story of Christ, Jesus. In fact, the first verse of the New Testament, so the first thing that we're told about Jesus in the whole of the New Testament is, well, Matthew chapter 1, this is the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And so immediately you see this story of Abraham has some direct connection with the story of Christ. We need to keep that connection in view. Before we start running around saying, oh look, I'm like Abraham, I should do this like Abraham. First do we need to work out, what is this Christ connection? How do those two stories map? Jesus, when he appears on the pages of human history, he doesn't exist in a vacuum. He's the son of Abraham. So if we can understand Abraham better, then it will help us to understand Christ better. That's got to be good, right? So this term, if we can understand and if we can get into this story of Abraham, you are going to understand God better and you're going to understand Christ better. That's going to be worth some effort, this term. And the whole of the Bible's like this. It's all about Christ. Jesus is the great fulfillment of the Bible story. And then we're going to look for that Christ connection. Here's the third connection. And that is the family connection. If you have faith in Jesus, if you are a Christian, If you believe that Jesus is the Son of God who loved you and died for you, then you have a direct connection to Abraham. Galatians chapter 3 verse 7, and we're going to come back to Galatians 3 in a bit. Galatians chapter 3 verse 7 says this, Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Did you hear it? If you have faith in Jesus, you are a child of Abraham. When I was young, we used to sing the song. <laughs> Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them. So, did anyone? Listen? I thought we'd all join in. Let's all praise the Lord. Right arm, Father Abraham. What was that about? What were we doing? We sang this ridiculous song, but it was right. It's a song that's true, the right arm bit, you nod your head, you stick your tongue out and you keep singing, it's weird. But the, the fundamental reality is right, Father Abraham had many sons, Abraham had many sons, and you were one of them. And you, many daughters, and you were one of them if by faith in Jesus you belong to this family. that we're not reading about some random bloke from history. We need to take this story seriously. We need to take this story personally because his story is our story. Abraham is the man who believed God. He's the man of faith and he's the father of all who will come after him and believe. So I want Abraham not to be someone who feels a million miles away from us, but this term that we'd get to know him better. Because he's ours. It's our Father. And understanding that connection will help us to understand what it means to live by faith in the God that he worshipped through the Christ that came from his line, And we're going to see that it's more real than we think. And I hope this term that God becomes more real to you. That Christ becomes more precious to you. And that faith, that your trust in God would deepen this term. But I do want us to get into this now because we I've set some big things up, all right? I want to get into this passage now, and I'm just going to take those three connections and show you them from Genesis 12, all right? We're going to see the God connection, then the Christ connection, then the family connection, and then we'll be done. Which is sad that we'll be done because it'll be the end. <laughs> Right Let's look right, the God connection. Here's our question then. What is it we learn about God from this passage? Who is the God of Abraham? What is he like? Okay, well, here's the thing I want you to remember for today. The God of Abraham is the God who says, "I will. I will." That's who he is. He's the God who speaks those words, spectacular words that break into Abraham's life and change the course of human history. That is not overstating it. We meet the God who says, I will. And if God says, I will, then notice that means that God is the one who takes all the initiative in this relationship. Do you notice how much God says and how much Abraham says? yes, exactly. God says a lot. And a lot of what he says is, I will. I will. I will. I will. I will. God is the initiating, initiative-taking God. And that's good news because the world of Abraham's day was in free fall. It was spectacularly going bonkers. From the height and the beauty of creation, we have seen humanity repeatedly redesign, reconfigure, and reject the creator God. So the story of Genesis up to this point is that God makes a beautiful world. He's the beautiful creator king. But then we meet the audacity of Adam and Eve, who try to steal God's place as the rightful king. So here's the freefall, Adam and Eve trying to steal God's place, give birth to Cain, who is a murderer, who tries to steal God's right as judge. And as you follow the story on, you discover the generation of Noah's day who tried to steal God's worship. As they ignored the God who made them and lived on there for themselves. And from Noah, you get to the days of Babel and the defiance of humanity trying to storm the gates of heaven itself with the tower that they built. It is just a story of rebellion. Adam and Eve, Cain, Noah's day, the days of Babel. It's a story of chaotic freefall. And yet over and over again, God steps in God takes the initiative. It's always God. When Adam and Eve defy him, what does God do? He makes them clothes to cover their shame. When Cain murders his brother, what does God do? He puts a mark on Cain to protect him. When the days of Noah, when the people were rebellious and wicked against God, what does he do? He provides a way for Noah through the judgment in the ark. And in the days of Babel, when they build their tower up to God, what does God do? What does God do? Well, what does he do? What does he do in a world that is defiantly and deserving of judgment? What does he do? Well, he comes to a man called Abraham, living in a place called Ur. <laughs> they must have been going really quick. What should we call this one? Ur, uh, yep, next. Hang on, I was thinking. Oh, never mind. There he is living in Ur. And you know what? It isn't that Abraham was this kind of little bright shining light in Ur. God said, is there anyone? Is there anyone? Is there anyone who seeks me? Is there anyone who loves me? Oh, yes, look, there's Abraham. No, Joshua chapter 24 tells us that when God appeared to Abraham, he was worshiping idols. He wasn't some righteous, good person. He, he was as defiant as the rest, as the rest of them. And God steps in. Abraham's not one of the good guys. He was stealing the worship God deserved, just like everybody else. And into that reality, God spoke. Now, this is important just for us to get clear. God spoke to them when they were still in Ur. This is why I read the end of chapter 11. And you can't tell that from Genesis chapter 11. In Genesis chapter 11, they seem to set out for the land of Canaan, but then stop off in Haran on the way and settle there instead. It's puzzling, isn't it? It's like, well, why did they set out for Canaan? What was that about? Well, it's only when you get to Acts chapter 7 and you read Stephen's speech that Stephen explains that God appeared to them when they were still in Ur. So here is Abraham worshipping his idols, And while they're worshipping here in Ur-Terah and his whole family, the God of glory appeared to them in Ur and said, go to the land of Canaan that I will give to you. And so they set out on their journey. But on their journey, they seem to get stuck in Haran. They settle there. And so God comes again to Abraham and says, Abraham, let's go. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. Go. But this is the reality into which God is speaking. And he comes and he speaks these words, I will. Now just think about those two words for a second. Those are words that create something. When you say I will to someone, you create something that didn't exist before. It may be a fairly meaning, you know, not that important history-altering event. I will meet you tomorrow. I mean, that hasn't changed the whole world, does it? But you have created something. You've created a relationship. You have taken the initiative. You said, I will do this. And now there is a story. Are you going to do it or not? Because you've expressed your intention, your will what you want to do, your desire, and so you say, I will, and the question is, well, will you? Are you someone who is faithful, or are you someone who is unfaithful? And here is God coming to Abraham and saying, I want you to leave your country, your people, your father's household, go to that, and I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great. God says, I'm going to pour out on you. Abraham, this is my intention. You, little Abraham, from the ur, uh, from the idol worshipping nowhere, I have chosen you and I will bless you. And those two words, I will, they land with a shuddering force. On the pages of human history, as God says, this is my intention. Against the backdrop of Babel and the defiance of humanity, building their tower, God steps in, takes the initiative, he makes his promise. He is the initiative-taking, promise-making God who says, I will. This is what I will do. And when God says, I will, he's not kidding. When God says he will, he is putting in motion the storyline of the whole of the rest of human history. The whole of the rest of God's plan to put things right. To deal with the defiance of humanity that's rejected him. God says, I will sort it. I will bring blessing. Rather than the curse that humanity deserves, God says, I will bless you. I will make your life good. I will give you what you need. I will bring you into relationship with me. This is a relational promise that God is making. I will. And the promises are huge. I'll make your name great. These are almost things that we're too nervous to think about, right? Making his name great. Can't you just keep me safe and be nice to me and have a happy life? No, God, I've got much bigger ambitions for you. I've got an ambition that you will be so magnificent and so glorious and have a nation that's so spectacular that it brings blessing to all the world. God's promise, God's I will captures all peoples on earth. That's what he says in verse 3 all peoples on earth will be blessed to you. So here is our, here is the God of Abraham. He's the God who says, I will. He says, I will to an idol worshiping nobody who deserves judgment. But he says, I will choose to bless you and I will bless you so that all peoples on earth will be blessed. He's the God of Abraham and he's our God. He's still this God who says, I will. He still has a purpose. He still has a plan. And when it looks like our world is out of control, and when it looks like our world's in freefall, and when humanity is defiantly rebelling against him, you have to hear the God of Abraham say, I will. I will. I will. I'm not done with my purpose yet. No one can thwart me. No one can foil me. No one can divert me or distract me. I am the God of Abraham, and I will do it. This is good, right? This is who he is. And he's our God. So we can have confidence in that promise, I will. But you might say, yeah, but how do we know? Oh, you know, what if it all goes wrong? Okay, let's move on to the Christ connection. I'm running out of time, so I knew I was going to do this today. Galatians chapter 3. Right, please turn to Galatians chapter 3. Okay, I'm going to ask you a question. It's sort of a rhetorical question, but you can answer it in your head. As soon as I ask it, you'll know it's a trick question. Who did God make the promise to in Genesis chapter 12? Who did God make the promise to in Genesis chapter 12? If you, if you don't know the answer to that, then I, I'm, I'm really sorry. I've, I've failed badly. Right, We'd all say it's Abraham, right? He made the promise to Abraham. Yes, he did. Don't panic. Yes, he did. But there was more going on. And I want to read you a bit of Galatians chapter three, which I remember the first time I read this, I was like, no way. That, that, that is, that's cool. So I hope you find it cool. In, Gen- in Galatians chapter three, Paul talks a lot about um Paul talks a lot about Abraham and about this promise. Okay, so for example, have a look at um, Galatians chapter 3, verse 7. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So Abraham, the gospel was announced to Abraham in advance. That is the gospel, the good news of Jesus that all people were blessed through Jesus was announced in advance to Abraham. So we're dealing with the gospel. Abraham knew the gospel. He was told it in advance. You say, hang on a second, but that, that hasn't answered the question you asked. No. Okay, so jump over a bit. Um, right, see verse 16. Right, here we go. This was spoken to Abraham, and Scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but, and to your seed, meaning one person, who is Christ. No, no, look, get this. The promise was made to Abraham and his seed, that is his offspring. We go, oh, that's nice, it's for everybody. No, Paul says, he explicitly says, not to seeds. Put an S there. Get rid of that naughty S because the promises were made to Abraham and his one offspring, Christ. Whoa! This is why it's cool. Because it means when God made the promise to Abraham, it was a promise to Abraham. Yes, but bigger and wider and above and beyond the promise to Abraham, it was a promise to Christ. Now, Christ is the eternal Son of God, right? Stick with this. Christ is the eternal Son of God. And so what Paul is saying is, as God spoke his promise to Abraham, you can rightly think that God the Father was speaking to his Son. Now listen to it. Listen to this. Listen to God the Father speak to his Son. Son, I will make you into a great nation. And I will make your name great. I will make, and I will bless you, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Through who? Through Christ. Why is it that God would say to some random man, I'm going to make your name great? Because it was never about Abraham. It was always about Christ. So it was always a promise of God the Father saying to his son, son, I'm going to make your name so great. (laughs) You're going to have the greatest name from all of human history. All of humanity will Worship will see this name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow. And son, I'm going to make you a great nation. You're going to have countless millions of people who belong to your nation. All peoples are going to be blessed through you, Christ. You see, we have to understand that that is why this promise is so unbreakable. Because it's a promise between the father and the son. You're telling me that the father's going to break a promise to his son? No way. So yes, Abraham sort of gets caught up in the promise along the way. But he is just a small part of this bigger story. You see, by the end of this series, we should be flat on our faces worshiping Christ. Celebrating Jesus celebrating the one who is the ultimate receiver of the promise. Because it was always about him. We don't have to sort of look around and go, oh, is this Jesus? Oh, here's, here's a, if you look at his squint with one eye, you can sort of make that into a J, and maybe that's Jesus. We don't have to try and find him. He's everywhere. It's all about him. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm so excited about Christ. And we want to know him. We want to explore him because how is it that God is going to bring this blessing to the nations? How is it that God is going to take this world that has stolen his worship, that has stolen his throne, that has stolen what is rightfully his? How is he going to take that world and bring it to a place of blessing? He will send his son and his son will bear the curse so that we might enjoy the blessing. It was always the plan. It was always the promise. And God, the father, spoke it to his son all those years ago. You're caught up in something much bigger than you realize. Here is the God of Abraham. Here is the God of our Christ Jesus. The one who came from the Father. And just as Abraham was told, go, go to that place. So God the Father said to his son, go. Go to that place, and I will bless you. It's all about him. So we're going to be on the lookout for the Christ connection. Throughout this story, we're going to be asking this question, what have we learned about God? What have we learned about Christ? And then the third thing, the family connection. Because we've only done the blessing bit, and we've, ah. Oh. Have a look at verse 4. So Abraham went. What does faith look like in action? This is what faith looks like. God says, God speaks. God says, go to the land. I will show you. I will bless you. And Abraham says, yes, I'll go. He has to leave behind. All that is familiar to him. He has to leave behind his father's household. He has to leave the place where he is comfortable. They've settled in Haran. It's nice in Haran. They didn't really want to go to Canaan. They were on their way, but we're here now. Let's just stay here. And God comes and says, no, Abraham, I want you to go. So Abraham went. I love the simplicity of it. Faith really is very simple. God speaks, and we say yes, we go, we trust him. But there is perhaps a hint here that Abraham has still got a lot to learn about faith. Could it be that taking Lot with him was more than God told him to do? He was told to leave behind his father's house, but now he takes Lot with him. And Lot, we'll see in the coming weeks, actually causes a lot of trouble for Abraham. And so you begin to see that Abraham, although he is this man of faith, he's not the perfect hero. And we're going to learn loads by watching him, our father, the one whose line we're in, by faith. Learning from him. Off they go. They leave Haran. They arrive in Canaan. When they get there, what's the first thing that he does? He travels through the lands. And he notices that the Canaanites are in the land. See, here's the problem. God's big, I will. I'm gonna make you a great nation. I'm gonna make your name great. You imagine anyone going, yeah, 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 this is awesome. But then when he gets to the land, he's like, Oh bother, there's already some people here. No. Oh. So I've got a problem because the land you promised me already seems to be taken. I went out with my brother last night to Burger King. <laughs> this is, this isn't going to help anything. But I have to tell you now. And um, <laughs> oh, for goodness' sake! Right, well, I went to Burger King. I sat down at a table. We sat down at a table, and uh, there was already a warm bag of food on the table. And then the people came back and they said, "We're already sitting here." We said, "We're oh, sorry, very much." What's the point of that? The Canaanites were already in the land. There was someone already on the table. The table was already taken, it wasn't available for us. That was terrible. The table wasn't available for us. There was already someone in the land. It didn't look like God's promises were going to come true. There was this big, I will, but how is it going to happen? Because the Canaanites were there. And add to that, Sarai, Abraham's wife, can't have children. So that's a big problem too. We were told that in chapter 11. So you've got this really, looks very unlikely. It looks very undesirable. It looks very unpromising. In fact, to be perfectly honest, it looks impossible. But Abraham went, and when he gets there, he calls on God. And he says, God, you're going to have to do something. And God says, I am going to give you this land. I will, I will, I will. And Abraham has to live by faith, and he makes an altar, and he builds an altar, and he worships the God of Abraham. He worships God and says, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to put all my eggs in your basket. I'm going to trust that you will do what you say you will do. And so he builds an altar. And then he travels on. And then he builds another altar. Because it's as if Abraham is saying, I'm trusting you. I'm trusting you. I'm calling on you, and I'm trusting you. And Abraham never owned any of the land. That's not quite true. He owned one little, tiny, tiny little bit, which he bought. But we'll see that at some point. But he trusted God. And so as we wrap all this up, here's where I just want us to land. This is going to teach us what it means to trust the God of Abraham, the God who says, I will, the God who sent the Christ, the God who has promised the Christ that his name will be great and he will be a blessing. This is what God is saying. Would you trust this God? Will you trust him? I think this is what lots of us do. I think this is what I do. I sit in a service like this and I go, yes, maybe, quietly in my heart, obviously. I think, yeah, I do, I do, I do. And many of us can probably look back to times when we said, yeah, I want to trust you. I want to go with you. I want to go with you. But what happens is we go, yeah, I'm on my way. I'm on my way. Oh, ooh, that looks nice. Haran, hello. And we settle in Haran. And we find ourselves settled somewhere that was never where God wants us to be. He wants us to keep going. He wants us to keep moving. There is a plan he has for us. There is a purpose he has for us. There is an inheritance he has for us. There is a future he has for us. And yet we can get distracted and we settle down in Haran and we say, I think I'll just settle here. This is nice. And my prayer this afternoon is that you would see such a great, glorious vision of the God of Abraham, that you would see such a magnificent picture of the Christ, the one that he's promised this nation to, that you would say, I'm not settling here. And where you find you've settled, perhaps you've settled as a Christian, you know, your Christian life, you sort of went, yeah, this is exciting. Oh, plateau, plateau, plateau. Get off the plateau. Get out of Haran. Move. Do something. And you must say, I don't know what to do. I don't care. Do something. Do something that God tells you to do. Live for him. Take some risks for him. Set out. Stick something on your desk that says, I'm a Christian. (laughs) Something, it could be more subtle than that if you want. I used to have a mate who walked around with a t-shirt that said, ask me about Jesus. And people used to go, you tell me about Jesus. And then he'd tell them about Jesus. I thought it's genius. I don't care. Do something. Let's not be people who settle in Haran and who say, God, a mediocre view of God. Let's do something. Let's go somewhere. Let's have a plan. Let's have an ambition of what God might do. Let's be like that as a church. We can't settle. Oh, look, we've got a nice hall. This hall, we can't be settled, right? That this hall is big enough for us or that this hall is all that God has. No, we've got to keep pushing. We've got to keep saying, God, what do you want us to do? Where do you want us to go? How do you want us to grow? How do you want us to change? What do you want us to invest in? What do you want us to do with our lives? Let's be people who ask these questions, who keep pushing and who keep pursuing. And if you're someone you say, I'm not a Christian. I don't know anything about anything. Well, then I want you to know the God of Abraham comes to you today in Ur, where you're living. And he says, come on, come to me. Come be part of my story. Come be part of my plan. Come be part of the story of the Christ, the one who loved you and gave himself for you on the cross, the one who will forgive all of your sin and all of your rebellion. Come be part of my story. That's what it means to be connected to Abraham. We need to finish, man, sorry. Um, We're going to pray together and then we're going to celebrate communion and celebrate this wonderful connection that we have with Abraham, our ancestor. Father, we thank you. God of Abraham, we worship you. God of our Lord Jesus Christ, we celebrate you. Father, thank you for all that you are. And we pray that you would please help us to live a life of faith. To not live a life of settled mediocrity, but to live a life of where we see your impossible promises and we pursue you and we go after you. Lord, please teach us, we pray. Yeah, please be at work in every single one of us. In Jesus' name, amen.